you know, it's been said that under these current conditions, most of us will emerge from this self-isolation period either in the very worst shape we've ever been in our lives or in the very best shape. On the one hand, we could emerge in the worst shape that we've ever been, trapped at home, gyms are closed, tempted to eat and drink our feelings. Our physical fitness could just go to pot in this period. But on the other hand, the thought is that if we are intentional with how we use this time, um, if we are intentional about the choices we make in terms of how we eat and how we rest and the exercise that we do, we could actually, given the simplicity of our lives right now, for many of us, we could emerge from the season in the very best physical shape that we've ever been in in our lives. And as we talked about this, a few of us, we realized that the same thing is actually true of us spiritually. On the one hand, we can't meet together as a community. Many of the programs that we rely on for our spiritual input are canceled or modified. And in some ways, we could come out of this season in the very worst shape that we've ever been spiritually. But it's also true that if we are intentional about how we spend this time, we could emerge from the season in the very best shape spiritually that we've ever been. But a month ago, we decided to start a series called Working Out Our Faith, and it was all going to be about how we need to be intentional about the energy and the effort that we put into uh, growing our faith as we gather together corporately as a community for worship on Sunday mornings. And we showed the very first talk in that series on the very first week that we had to stay home and do church online. <laughs> so we pulled the plug on the series and we did the series Pardon the Interruption instead. But as we thought about it, we thought, you know, after Easter, let's still talk about what it looks like to work out our faith, but do it in a home edition. Since we can't go to church, since we can't participate in the programs, what decisions could we make about our lives at home in this period of time that could actually help us get into the very best spiritual shape that we've ever been. And so that's what this series, this next number of weeks is going to be all about. This morning, I'm just going to lay an introduction, just lay a groundwork for what we're going to talk about. And then over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about the kinds of spiritual exercises that we could be doing in this season to help keep us and get us into the kind of shape into the kind of spiritual fitness that we want to experience. For the course of this series, the way we're going to use the word spiritual fitness, we're going to use it to mean this. Spiritual fitness is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. It's got four parts to it. That sentence is just the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And I just want to walk first through each of those four pieces of this definition to help us understand what spiritual fitness is. And then we'll talk about the kinds of things that we could do um, during this season for us to experience greater amounts of spiritual fitness. And so first of all, spiritual fitness is a process. Fitness of every kind is a process. That's one of the things that we hate about it, is that you can't go to bed one night, 
you know, out of shape and wake up the next morning looking like Steven Seagal. Like, fitness doesn't work that way. When Krista and I have been faithful and diligent uh, to work out at home, she often, me, irregularly, um, we use videos, and they're always called things like the 21-day fix and the 80-day obsession and 90 days of P90X3. There's always this this assumption built into the title that this is going to take time. That's true of spiritual fitness as well. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, a verse that I first read a month ago in the other Working Out Our Faith series, it says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, see, this is about obeying, this is about how we live out our faith, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Since we can't be together and we have to be apart, how should we live? We should continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation, the, to work out your faith. There are two essential components that are placed in that verse. The first one is this, that having a faith that manifests itself in our lives takes work. I mentioned a month ago that the word translated as work out is a word in Greek that gives us our English word energy. It takes effort and energy to have the kind of life where your faith is visible in the way that you live. Um, Just like uh, physical fitness, spiritual fitness takes work. But The phrase continue to says that it takes work over time. In fact, that phrase work out your salvation could be translated be being working out your salvation or be consistently working out your salvation. There's a persistence through time. And so what Paul is saying is, I want you to be the kind of people who are continually being people who are pouring effort and energy into working out your faith, having your faith become real and actualized in the life that you live. This is a process. It's a lifelong process, a process that you will never arrive at. When we were my wife and I doing the 80-day obsession, the woman who hosted the videos, she kept saying, you know, this periodically, she would say, well, what's your goal? Your goal is not to finish the 80 days. Day 80 is the same as day one. This is a lifetime commitment to health and fitness, which it clearly wasn't, but she wanted it to be. That's the way fitness works. It's a lifelong commitment. There's never a moment you say, well, now I'm fit, I can stop. And that's what spiritual fitness is too. It is a process where we're continually pouring effort and energy into getting into better and better spiritual shape. It is a process of being formed. This is the second part. And we hate this part too, that it's being formed. This isn't something we can do for ourselves. In some ways, this is where spiritual fitness is actually different than physical fitness, because physical fitness is, if I want to learn to run with endurance, I know what exercise I need to do in order to, to accomplish that. And if I just do them, then I get myself into shape. That's what we like. We like being in control. We are a DIY culture. We are a, a self-help culture. Just give me the info, show me the technique, let me watch the YouTube tutorial, and I can do it for myself. That's not how spiritual fitness works. We don't get ourselves into shape. We can't produce that. Only God 
can do that, which is why Paul goes on to say in the next verse, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We continually be the kind of person that's pouring effort and energy into working at our spiritual fitness because that opens a space for God to work in us, shaping the way we think and feel and choose so that our lives more closely align to his purpose. It's what God does. In this sense, and this sense alone, um, spiritual fitness is like choosing to take a course. It takes my involvement. I have to show up in the space. I have to submit myself to the leadership of the professor or the teacher. I have to participate. I have to cooperate in doing my homework exercises. I have to um, listen and pay attention to the guidance that's being provided. But at the end of the day, all I am doing is I'm creating an environment where the leadership of the professor or teacher can shape me and my understanding of my life in alignment with the material of the course. That's, what's, that's what we do. We engage in spiritual fitness as a way of opening up a space to encounter the presence of God that reshapes our lives. It's what God does for us. It is a process of being formed, thirdly, into the image of Christ. We engage in this ongoing process of spiritual disciplines or spiritual fitness, not so that we live our best life now, not so that we can have everything go our way, not so that we can be healthy and wealthy, not so we can grow knowledgeable about the Bible, not, none of those things, not so that we can be religious in our lives. It's none of those things. We engage in spiritual fitness so that over time, our lives resemble the life of Jesus more and more. Earlier in the same chapter, this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Do not look to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. He describes this um, humble, others-oriented, loving, self-giving kind of lifestyle. And then he chooses to summarize it like this. He says, in your relationships, one another word, in other words, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul says, the way you live in relationship with each other, just be like Jesus. That's the goal. Be like Jesus is the goal. You know you're becoming more spiritually fit to the degree that your life looks more like Jesus. Now, there are two parts to becoming like Jesus. One author had called the one confrontation and the other consecration. Confrontation is acknowledging the reality that if we're going to become more like Jesus, the, the place we, where most shaping is going to be done is in the place of our greatest weakness. At home, I have a, a trainer that I have mounted my road bike on so that in the winter and in bad weather, I can still ride my bike indoors. And I follow a workout plan. And the first month of the workout plan is called Building Foundations. But the second month of the workout plan is called Working Your Weaknesses. That's how fitness works. You identify your weaknesses, the places where you are least like the kind of fitness you want to be living, and you specifically target those. That's what happens in our life, that God puts his finger on the places where we are least like Jesus, the places of our brokenness, the place of our sin, the place where we're most like the culture, and it is painful and it is hard. The second part is consecration, 
which is just a fancy way to say that we give our yes to God and say, you know what, God, you've identified a place in my life where I need to become more like Jesus, and I agree to cooperate with you so that you can make those changes in my life. You see, the truth is, there are ways that you're not like Jesus and ways that I'm not like Jesus, but we don't want to change them. Jesus says, love your enemies, forgive all. And we say, "Mm, no thanks. Jesus says, don't judge. We say, "Mm, maybe I will. Jesus says, don't look at anyone lustfully. We're like, I'm not eager to change that just yet. Consecration, we are formed when instead of saying no, Jesus, we start to say, yes, Jesus, I want to change this part of me. And you cannot become more like Jesus without that. It is a process of being formed into the image of Christ. Here's the last piece, for the sake of others. Right after that section, this is what Paul writes. Then, if you do that, if you engage in the process of being formed to be like Christ, you will shine among your generation like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul says, if you engage in the process and are increasingly becoming more like Jesus, here's what happens. Your life radiates the light of Jesus into the world. The Gospel of John says that Jesus is the light of the world shining in the darkness. The Gospel of Matthew says we are the light of the world, a city on a hill, which is true, both. We reflect the light of Jesus into the world to the degree that our lives resemble the life of Jesus. And not only does it put Jesus, the beauty of Jesus' life of love on display, it invites people to embrace that life of love for themselves. So that's spiritual fitness. It is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. The question for this series is, how do we live in our current circumstances so that we can emerge in the best spiritual shape we've ever been in our lives? This is what the Apostle Paul says. 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, train yourself for a holy life. While physical training has some value, training in holy living is useful for everything. It has promised for this life now and for the life to come. Paul says, if you want to live a life that resembles the life of Jesus, that takes training. Now, training is different than trying, and I want us to be clear about that. If I simply try to slam dunk a basketball, I will never do it. But if I train to slam dunk a basketball... I will still never do it, but I, but I might come closer. My wife is training um, to compete in a half Ironman triathlon. That doesn't mean she's just running triathlons and trying as hard as she can. She has workouts in the pool and workouts on her bike and workouts on the road as she runs. And she does these specific exercises that when all put together, shape her into a triathlete who is in the kind of physical fitness that can compete in a half Ironman triathlon. That's what Paul's getting at. Training is not the game. Training is the preparation for the game. It is not the performance. It is the practice that allows us to perform. And that's precisely what Paul is saying. If we want to become the kind of people who are in the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others, what we have to do is engage, just as a person would engage in spirit, in physical exercises, as my wife is for a triathlon, we have to engage in spiritual exercises. There are some building foundations exercises that we'll talk about over the next couple of weeks, things like Bible reading and prayer 
And another one would be worship, but we're not going to talk about that in this series. But then there are extra exercises, things like silence and solitude and celebration, things like fasting and Sabbath and simplicity and others beside that each train us in unique ways to be formed more like Jesus. Now, I want to say at the front end, because we're going to, after this week, we're going to spend each week talking about a different spiritual exercise that can enhance our spiritual fitness. But as we talk about them, these are not religious duties, things that you have to do or God is, or I or somebody is going to be disappointed in you. Um, They're also not religious performances. They're not something that we do to impress God and the people around us with how spiritual we are. Like I said before, they're also not techniques or formulas so that if you put the money in and pull the lever, here's the outcome. It's not like we can say, well, I want to learn self-control, so I'm going to try fasting. Fasting may teach you self-control, but fasting is about opening yourself up to God, to his presence in a unique way so that God can shape you into the image of Jesus in whatever way God wants to do that. And so we're going to talk about the spiritual exercises that are to come. And as we do, here's what I want as a commitment from you. I want you to commit to trying them. See, at the end of the day, this is your journey. You are a unique individual. Your circumstances are unique. Your needs are unique. Your brokennesses are unique. Your sin is unique. And so this is, Paul said before, Work out your own salvation. This is going to be for you and God and the community of people around you that love God and love you to sort out together what your unique journey will look like for you. An extrovert will find different exercises meaningful than an introvert. Someone who lives in their head will find different spiritual exercises more meaningful than someone who lives out of their heart. Um, Someone who is a creation person may struggle with spiritual exercises that happen indoors. Somebody who is an activist may struggle with spiritual exercises that are contemplative. You you have to find the shape of a spiritual workout regimen that is meaningful for you without, by the way, ignoring the opposite. If you're an extrovert, but you only engage in extroverted forms of spirituality, that your introverted side will blow up on you. If you only live out of your head, your heart will blow up on you. You have to find a balance. But here's what I want you to do. We're not going to talk about these spiritual exercises in the coming week, and you have to keep in this cumulative way adding on and adding on and adding on so that down at the end of the series, you need 30 hours a week to do all the things. we. No, 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 no. Agree to try it each week. And if it wasn't meaningful, don't continue it. And just come back next the next week and try the next one and see if that one is more meaningful. Um, But I want you to try each of them and keep your heart open, keep your ears open to the voice of God. Ask the community of people around you how they think you need to be formed into the image of Christ and experiment with what a meaningful workout regimen for you could look like. Don't be afraid if somebody else is reading the Bible an hour a day and you're not. Maybe that's not where God needs you to be right now. You find your path, your space of opening yourself up to the presence of God so that God can form you into the image of Christ for the sake of others. That's where I want us to end. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. 
but apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's how it is. Jesus says, I'm the vine. What does the vine do? The vine connects the branches to the life that comes from the roots, which is the source. Jesus says, I am the way that you get connected to the life source of God. That life flows through me and into you. You are the branches. You are the place where the life of God flows. And so Jesus says, remain in me. Another translation says, abide in me. Stay connected to me. That's what these spiritual exercises do. They open up a space for us to stay and remain connected to Jesus so the life of God can flow through Jesus into us. And if we allow that to happen, it will bear much fruit. What is the fruit? The fruit is the physical, visible, tangible evidence that the life has flowed from the source through the vine to the branches. It's it's proof that the branches don't have to try to grow the fruit. It's not effort. If they stay connected to the vine, the life flows and the fruit grows. That's how this works. And by the way, what is fruit for? Fruit is meant to be given away to somebody else to nourish them. Fruit is how the life flows to somebody else. This is what Jesus is inviting us into, a process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And how it works is that by these spiritual exercises that enhance our spiritual fitness, we remain connected to Jesus and open to God so that his life, God's life can flow through us and be given away to others and they can experience the life of God as well. Lately, somebody in our community named Aaron Entz has been experiencing that for himself and Aaron wanted to tell us just a little bit of his story. Hi everyone, my name's Aaron. My wife Ashley and I attend Southridge at our St. Catharines location, along with our three kids, Levi, Jace, and Sierra. I was raised in the church, so Jesus has always been a familiar name to me. But in my mid-teens, I made a serious commitment to following him. In my life, the most prominent spiritual practices have been Bible reading and prayer. I think these ones have come most naturally to me simply out of their convenience. Prayer is only a thought or spoken word away, and the Bible is on my phone now, so they're always available at any moment. Even though those practices seem to be easy to put into a routine for me, I wish I was better at the practice of taking time to be still and listen to what God has to say about my life, even just to sense and identify His presence. I've done it in the past, and I've experienced Him in some very unexpected ways, yet it proves to be something difficult to do in this time of my life. I've been able to find a pretty consistent routine with Bible reading. I'm up relatively early and at the same time each day. So the first thing I do is read a short devotional and then spend some time reading the Bible. It's similar with prayer, where it happens intentionally early on in my day. When we were reading through Dream Big, Think Small as a church, I was inspired to start spending my drive time on the way to the job site each morning, just praying about specific people and things. In honesty though, these rhythms fluctuate so greatly. Sometimes my body protests my alarm in the morning, or my brain is consumed with what I have to get done at work in the day, or even will go on vacation, and even though there's 
a lot more free time, it seems to result in spending way less time with Jesus. These are just things that can knock me out and have knocked me out of my routine. And they push me into a few consecutive days or weeks of not engaging in those practices. I notice that when I'm able to maintain consistency in my spiritual practices, it results in an awareness of God's presence throughout my day. I wouldn't describe it as a formula that goes, read your Bible and see God's obvious response. For me, it has more the effect of reminding me of his love, goodness, and provision, and that he's with me to help me carry the burdens of the day. With that foundation each morning, I'm able to, to more mindfully go through the day with the most Christ-like demeanor that I can. I also notice though, that when I'm inconsistent with these practices, I feel like I'm carrying so much more weight through the day. It feels like everything is so much more of a task and I have to put on a Christ-like mask instead of genuinely acting, acting in response to his love. When I'm stuck in inconsistency, often it takes a conversation with Ash or a text from a friend to get me back into my routine again. Which is funny because I know the fulfillment that comes with doing consistent spiritual practices. Yet somehow it takes that poke to remind me that it's not only something I need, but it's something I want. Nowadays with the virus, it feels like everything is out of my control. It's made my morning routine that much more of an anchor. Because typically the first half hour of my day is something that I can control. I know that God is waiting for me to wake up each morning and that he's ready to lead me through the day by his word and prayer. As physical distancing goes on, I'm realizing my need to be in deeper relationship with him and I'm finding that in these consistent spiritual practices.